Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Thank you for your spiritual maturity. And that is a that is not something that just accidentally happens. But it is a result of years of men and leaders that have instilled that in this church and then passed the baton to Brother Robinson who has kept that spirit I tell you as an evangelist thank you don't understand if you just stay here you got to move around and travel around what God did to me last night at this altar this evangelist needed that doesn't happen everywhere because they won't need to give everything I get nothing in return. It can be very spiritually and physically exhausting. I don't know how others work, but the way I work, I go to a city, I go to a church, and I try my best to pick up the burden of that pastor, find the vein of that church. And however long I'm there, a week, five weeks, nine weeks, however long I, I, I preach in that vein. But, but to do the next place justice, I've got to lay the burden down and pick up the next place. And you do that week in and week out, it becomes very taxing on the body. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give this church the greatest compliment an evangelist could give. Thank you for giving me a revival. Thank you. Thank you. God. Verse 11 of Luke 15, the Lord a year ago in the month of May, I was reading this chapter again and maybe you've heard it, maybe you've seen it, maybe you've heard preachers preach about it, but I have not. But I saw something here that the Holy Ghost revealed to me. I preached it at a church in Mississippi. Then I, we 
drove out to California and there was a church there that the Lord allowed me to preach this a fairly large church and I, I wasn't aware at the time how many was watching and how many was listening and from preaching this message there I have been asked to write articles about this message and it's not not one I preach everywhere because again it's just a seasonal message but I feel it ripe for this church this night Luke 15 verse 11 and he said a certain man had two sons the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falleth to me and he delivered unto them his living not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. He began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk of the swine, but the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger I will arise go to my father and will say unto him father I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son make me as one of thy hired servants he arose and came to his father but when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. Verse 25, now his elder son was in the field. Here it is. And he came and drew nigh to the house as he came and drew nigh to the house he heard music and dancing as he came to the house I want to preach to you tonight the importance of keeping the house. 
Amen. Would you lift your hands and lift your voice? Oh, God, thank you for what you're about to do in this building. The current of the anointing and the glory of the spirit that's moving now, I thank you for it. God, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do, Jesus. Mm, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you. Scripture in its original context was not divided into 66 books. And the original way it was not divided into chapters and verses. And I suppose just for the easiness of us to find scriptures better, they chose to break the Bible up into books and chapters and verses. In doing so, we now have favorite chapters. We've got favorite verses. We've got chapters that have become very renowned and known scriptures even that people know that don't even go to church because they've just become that famous. We have a chapter that we have identified as the hall of fame of faith. Chapters like Genesis 1 that gives us how we all became what we are and have what we have. I too have favorite scriptures, favorite verses. And it may be old hat for some, but for me, there's still no greater verse in all of the Bible than Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38 still makes me happy. But in this, Luke chapter 15 has become a chapter that a lot of people know and, and, and a chapter that, that we have gleaned ideas from and even the world has copied after. It is a chapter that gives us the parable of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. 
Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he gives them a parable about a man who has a hundred sheep. And Jesus says to these Pharisees and these scribes that if this man that has a hundred sheep, if one sheep is lost, does he not leave the ninety-nine to go after the one sheep? Does he not love that one sheep enough that he is willing to leave the bulk of what he has just to go after the one that's lost? In fact, it's not just lost, it's strayed. It's not that it lost its way, it's it purposely made a decision to leave the foe. But does the shepherd not love the sheep enough that even when the sheep is wanting to leave the shepherd, the shepherd still goes after the sheep? The shepherd doesn't say, well, if that's the way you want it, you be that way and we'll go on our way. No, the shepherd loves the sheep enough. It is willing to leave those who stay to go after the one that walked away. Some of you should be grateful tonight because you was the one sheep that willingly chose to leave. But theirs was a shepherd whose name is Jesus who loved you enough to not leave you when you walked out on him. Come on, that's why he kept dealing with you. That's why he kept talking to you. That's why he talked to you when you were sitting on the bar stool and the Holy Ghost convicted you when you were shooting up drugs. It was a God that said, you may leave me, but I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you. Thank God he didn't leave us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why God can show up to a man in a hotel room that's praying, Lord, I need a sign. Lord, show me something. And he forsook money. He forsook popularity. He forsook prestige. And now he stands as the pastor of Christ Memorial Temple because God did not leave Eddie Robinson. When Robinson left him, he still showed up. He still came by. He still made a way. Somebody ought to say, thank you, God. Thank you for not leaving me. Thank you for not abandoning me. Thank you for not walking out on me. Thank you for not kicking me out. Thank you for not washing your hands clean of me. Thank you for getting your hands dirty again. He then spoke another parable 
and said, or Pharisees, scribes, if a woman has ten pieces of silver and one piece is lost, does she not light a candle? Does she not sweep the house? Does she not seek diligently until she find it? Oh, you got to get the message he was trying to get across. He was saying to these Pharisees and these scribes, guys, it may be just a quarter or it may be just a dime. It may be just a nickel. We may not know the exact amount, but regardless of how lost it is, regardless of where it's at, in the eyes of the woman, it still has that. I don't care how far you went I don't care where you may even be right now in the eyes of God you're still valuable in the eyes of God you're still wanted you're wanted so much he'll sweep the house you're wanted so much he'll push away the carpet you're wanted so much he'll look under the rug he'll move the furniture he won't stop until he finds you because he wants your song he wants your testimony he wants your message you got value to him Oh God. Oh. You might not be worth much to man, but you're worth a whole lot to God. Come on, you may not be worth much to your family, but you're worth a whole lot to God. Friends may have walked out. Family may have counted you unworthy, but there's a God who loved you enough. If you want to know how much God loved you, just take a look at a bloody cross. That shows you there. I want you. I need you. I have to have you. I, I, I desire you. You got value to him. Come on, I'll tell you how valuable you are. You're worth some blood. You're worth some suffering. You're worth some shame. You're worth some nails. You're worth some thorns. God have Then, then, then we come to the third and perhaps the most popular parable of them all in this chapter. Jesus speaks about a man, stay with me now, that has two sons. The younger of the boys come to father one day and ask him to give me my inheritance. I don't want to wait till you die. I don't want to wait any longer. If it's mine, give it to me now. I can imagine at first the father tried to talk him out of it, but after a few moments he understood that the young man has made up his mind. He's going to do what he wants to do. And father can't say anything to change his mind. So instead of just staying there, with an unwinnable argument, he goes ahead and gives the boy 
his inheritance. At first, all the boy wanted was his inheritance. But when he gets his hands on it, he leaves the house. There was no mention beforehand, I'm leaving the house. But once you get something that doesn't belong to you at the moment, when you get out of season, you mess your whole life up. So he takes the inheritance. He leaves the house. He doesn't just move across town. He doesn't move to the next city. The Bible says he went into a far country. Oh God, because sin will take you further than you intended to go. In the house, he had a brother that loved him. In the house, he had a father that loved him. But now, he's taken the inheritance. He's left the house. He's moved into a far country. He doesn't save the money. He wasted, he, he wasted it with riotous living. At first, hear me, when he moved to that country, there was friends he had. There was some prestige he had but when he wasted it with riotous living and he's got no more inheritance he's got no more blessing he's got no more money he's got no more friends now he's got no more prestige now no now he's finding himself among the swine of a stranger Oh God, I know, I know what the world pr pr promotes and, and I know what the world depicts. You see the nice billboards with the beautiful blonde hanging on a man's arm who's got a Budweiser in his hand. But what that bird, what that billboard won't show you is the cancer that the alcohol is going to give. It won't show you that that blonde is going to dump him when the doctor says you got six months to live. Come on, why are you so quiet now. The billboard will show you that beautiful brunette. Come on. Who's hanging on the nice looking man's arm. Who's smoking up a cigarette. But what they won't show you is the lung cancer and the disease and the hole in the throat. They won't show you that. You hear me? Don't you leave father's house because the friends you have will drop you like a bad habit when you run out of money. Oh, he's here. He, he had a brother, a father, and now he finds himself feeding swine for some stranger. Now you got to get the picture. He's, he's picking up this pig food with his hands. He's got no money, no friends. He's got no popularity, people's left him, people's abandoned him. The only company he has is pigs. And he's so hungry that the food that's meant for pigs is now looking appeasing to him. And just before he stuffed his mouth with that food, 
he came to himself. You hear me? I'm going to do some of you well right now. You hear me? Don't you ever stop praying for the backslider. Don't you ever stop praying for your lost children. Don't you ever stop praying for your lost spouse. But you hear me? Keep on praying. But the day has to come when they come to themselves. You can tell them to your blue in the face. You're wasting your life. Things are not looking good. But until they realize that. He came to himself. And he said how many hired servants does my father have? And they're eating bread. And I am here as as a despicable nobody and I'm about to eat food that belongs to animals. He said, I will arise and go to my father's house. Hear me. He said, I will tell my father I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. Just make me a help. Just just make me a slave. But don't make me a son. That means every step of the way back home, he was telling himself, I'm no longer a son. I'm no longer a child. I might as well settle the issue now. I'm just a slave. I'm just a servant. He won't love me like he used to. He won't hug me like he used to. He won't kiss on me like he used to. Every step, come on, his heart became heavy with the fact I I wasted it. I, I abused it. He won't love me like he did. He won't cherish me like he did. He'll be mad at me. He'll be upset with me. But the Bible said when the boy was a great way off that the father saw him. The father saw him. The father cannot see him had the father not been looking for him. That means every day when the boy was gone, father was on the front porch on his rocking chair just waiting for the moment that the boy shows up. Father saw him. Father ran to him. Father fell on him. Father embraced him. Because Father wants you home a whole lot more than you want to come home. You're not a servant. You're a boy. You're a daughter. You're a child. It didn't say Father stayed on the porch with the spirit of judgment waiting for the boy to show up just to rebuke him. 
No. When Father saw him, Father jumped off the porch and started running toward him. My God, Daddy wants you back a whole lot more than you want to come back. You won't come back as a slave. You won't come back as a servant. Come on. You're still a daughter. You're still a son. You're still a child of God. Okay, you ready? This ain't my message. This is what we know. This is the story we're used to. But what the Holy Ghost showed me a year and a half ago was that verse 25, when the elder son came to the house, the same house that prodigal came to, That means whether the boy was gone for a year, for five years, for 20 years, the boy knew what house to go back to. Because as long as the boy was gone, daddy never sold the house. He said, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how long it'll take, but one day my boy will come back home and when he comes back home, home better be the same home that he left 20 years ago. You hear me? You hear me? You hear this evangelist? The two greatest end time revivals that the apostolic church is going to see is a revival of entire congregations converted. Okay. That book says that his spirit will be poured out on all flesh. That's Baptist flesh, Methodist flesh, Catholic flesh, Presbyterian flesh, Church of God flesh. All flesh. So think about it. If they love their churches as much as we love ours, they're not coming here on Sunday. Because you wouldn't go there. So how are they going to be converted? I'll tell you how. Because God is going to open doors for the apostolic preachers. God is going to open doors for one God-tongue-talking Acts 2.38 preachers. Come on, they're going to get hungry. They're going to be searching. They're going to start calling us, saying, will you preach for us? And when we go through that door, entire congregations will be converted and baptized in Jesus' name.
It's already happening. It's already happening. But the other great end time revival God's going to give, and I've seen it firsthand. I've watched it. I've witnessed it. It's a revival of prodigals. Because the one thing about prodigals, they know how to pray. They know how to worship. They've sat on the pews and they've heard Pentecostal preachers under the anointing preach about the day we're living in. And they're waking up to the reality. We ain't got much time. We better get in now. Come on, I have personally laid my hands on backslidden preachers and God refilled them with the Holy Ghost and put their lives back together. I'm watching it. I'm seeing it. Baby, they're coming. Get ready. They're on the way. You may need a bigger building. It's okay, but they're coming like a flood. They're coming. Come on, somebody ought to praise him. Somebody ought to praise him. Come here, come here. Somebody, you don't believe me? Take a look. Open your eyes. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Get ready, Lafayette. They're on their way. Be seated. You hear me? I got to give you a challenge. They're coming. But the tragedy is when they come back, will house look the same? Will house feel the same? Oh, will house sound the same? Some prodigals that are coming back home have told me church isn't like it was when I left. Church seems to me more, more watered down than it was when I left. Come on, people that used to worship don't seem to worship anymore. Dear God, there's an importance of keeping the house. When they come back home, they better feel like they're at home. They better feel like they're welcome home. They better hear the same thing that they heard when they left 30 years ago. ago, this is the kind of preaching they heard. Women should not wear that which pertaineth to a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do is an abomination unto the Lord. And when they show back in our house, they better hear the same message. They better see the same results. They better see the same sight. When they left, they heard that there was only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who's above all, and in 
but when they left, they heard except a man be born again of the water and the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven that has not changed, that's not diminished. It's still Bible, it's still truth. And when they show back, it better sound the same. You see, I don't tell this story everywhere because I just don't feel to. But this church, there's a, there's a unique connection. Whether you realize it or not, there's a unique connection I have with this church. Every time I preach, whether it's overseas or big churches or storefront churches or conferences or camp meetings, every time I've got a picture that I keep on the pulpit. It's a picture of my great-grandfather. It's kind of faded. He's probably in his late 50s, early 60s. The man died when he was 102 years old. The last time I heard the man preach, he was 102 years old. You never knew where he was going to start, but you knew where he was going to end up. Then Peter said unto them he even would sing about it and the unique connection I have with this church is Sister Parnell sat under this man when she was younger my great grandfather had two had, had, had five sons that were all Pentecostal preachers one of those was named Jimmy Dyson Brother Carson sat under Jimmy Dyson. Baptized him. Another, another son he had was named Kenneth Dyson. Brother Carson got the Holy Ghost the night Uncle Kenneth was preaching. See the connection we got? It's, you didn't know that. This, this man has, hey, has left a heritage. In fact, his brother, my great-grandfather's brother was a Pentecostal preacher. And from that lineage, you get the Cleveland and Ron Beckton's. You get the Stan Gleason's, all family. I'm telling you, it was a great heritage. But sadly and regretfully, many of, if not all of his sons, grandsons, chose to go an easier route. Chose to hobnob with the so-called charismatic cats. And so it was at my great-grandfather's funeral in 2002 that at the end of the funeral they had all of the preachers in the family come up, take a Bible that was there for us and stand behind the casket. 
I was the last one in the group. So I got up, got the Bible, and I passed all of those great uncles, all of those cousins, all of those uncles, and I stood at the back of the line. That was the one and only time that the devil used my family against me. I stood there and looked, and the adversary came to me and said, you'll never be what they were. And I said, you're right, I'll be more. Just fight fire with fire. So they had all of, our, all of the preachers to say their last respects. And, and I was the last one. And I walked up to that casket and looked down at the man that dedicated me to God when I was a baby. Looked down at the man that was there the night I received the Holy Ghost. Looked down at the man that was there the night I preached my first message. And we called him Big Daddy. I said, Big Daddy, I promise you before God in this church that this boy will die preaching what you preached. I will not give up. I will not turn around. Until I die, I will preach there's only one God. I will preach holiness. I will preach separation. I will preach the necessity of Jesus' name baptism. I will preach the infinite of the Holy Ghost. But you hear me, far beyond the promise I made to my great-grandfather, it was a promise I made to God. That's why I preach like I preach. That's why, come on, that's why I fight like I fight. I've got something to fight for. I got a backslid brother, and when he comes back home, better feel like home, home, better sound like home. I've got an obligation to keep the house. But here, here's the nail I want to drive home. He didn't just come back to the same house. When he came, the Bible said he heard music and dancing. It is not time for us to get lazy with our worship and complacent with our praise. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him on the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the sultry and harp. Praise him on the timbrel and dance. Praise him on the loud cymbals. Praise him on the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that had breath praise the Lord. That's what we do. That's who we are. 
We're praisers. We're praisers. We're praisers. We're praisers. That's how homes should sound. Gophers. Ask Sister Gophers, Daddy. They'll all tell you, Atkins is a praise preacher. Atkins talks about praise a lot. I wear that as a badge of honor because I've got a duty. I've got a battle to fight. I don't want a one God tongue token, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, Jesus name believing church to be quiet and silent and lazy. That's not who we are. That's what the denominal world is. But we are praisers and hand clappers and our runners and tongue talkers and dancers. Sorry to bust your bubble, Pentecost. Our identity is not in the way we dress. I got Bible to back me up whether you don't. When the 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says they walked out on the streets and the world said, these men are acting drunk. Before the world said one thing about the way we looked, they talked about how we were acting. Our identity is we act crazy, we act drunk, but we're not drunk as she supposed. But this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. It's Holy Ghost, it's fire, it's Holy Ghost, it's fire, and we better act like it. David said, oh, clap your hands, all your people. You know why? Hear me. Because David thought hand clapping sounded like chains falling. Every time you clap, you're reminding hell. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. Sound your liberty, sound your deliverance, sound your freedom. Got way too many. 
fearful, worried, anxious, depressed, afraid, Holy Ghost people. They take pills to go to sleep. They take pills to get up. They take pills to, to exist throughout their day. Let me give you a remedy for depression. You don't need depression pills. You don't need anxiety medicine. Just do what Jesus said. Jesus said rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Throw your pills away and get to leaping. It'll do more for you than that medicine. It'll do more for you than drugs. It's the remedy Jesus gave. That's what we are. That's what we do. That's what we are. That's what we do. I got to studying one day on the word dance because every time you preach like this, you got a handful of people who just look at you and say, well, I'm not like that. Folks, the church is not your democracy. Your vote don't count in here. The church is a kingdom. The government is on his shoulders. And you do what he said. And he said praise. But I got to studying the word dance. And I was amazed to find that the word dance is defined in three different meanings throughout Scripture. The first way the word dance is defined is what we all think about when we hear the word dance, moving your feet wildly. That, that was a form of dance in Scripture. But then I kept reading on and studying and there was another way that you could be classified as a dancer and that was to just jump up and down. That was considered a dancer. But then there was a third form and way you could be classified as a dancer and that was if you stood there and move your body back and forth. And so I, I got on my knees and I started asking God for some clarity and some revelation on this. Why is there three drastic differences in being classified as a dancer and the Holy Ghost came to me in that prayer meeting and the Holy Ghost reminded me because some people are still young enough to move their feet wildly but then you get to an age your bones don't work right and your legs don't work right and so all you can do is just jump up and down but then you get to an age and your whole body aches and you can't move your feet and you can't jump. All you can do is just twist. And you hear me, the Holy Ghost said, I put it that way so nobody would have an excuse not to be a dancer. Baby, you may not can do everything, but dear God, you can do something. You can express something. You can act something out. And when the prodigals come home, it better sound like home and feel like home and look like home and act like home. 
here you go let's try this one out they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with rings as eagles they shall run they shall run we're hand clappers we're leapers we're dancers and yes we are still our runners that is who we are that sounds like home come on right now somebody needs to praise him Come on, someone needs to just break loose and praise him. Come on, you need to get out from behind that pew and just turn loose and praise him. Come on, this is how we keep things broke. This is how we get healed. This is how we get delivered. It's in our praise for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you get joy when you praise. You smile when you praise. You take off the garment of heaviness and you put on the spirit of praise. him in the morning. I'm going to praise him in the noonday. I'm going to praise him at night. I'm going to praise him on Monday. I'm going to praise him on Tuesday. I'm going to praise him on Wednesday. I'm going to praise him when I feel like it. I'm going to praise him when I don't because that's who I am. it's time for Christ Memorial Temple to get their dance back. I got a handful doing it, but I think it's time not just a few saints, but Christ Memorial Temple gets his dance back. We sing the song. He turned my morning to dancing. But we sing it without a revelation of what it means. In those days when there was mourners just like Job, they would cut themselves. They would sit among sackcloth and ashes. So nobody would have to say, what's wrong with you? They could just look at the individual and declare their mourning without a word being spoken. Just look at the way they act. And they knew their mourning. But just 
just like Job, when the morning was done, they would get up. They would dust themselves off. And just like Job, they would dance. So again, no one had to say, I feel good now. No one had to say, I won the battle now. All they had to do was act. Lafayette, Atkins has come this week to tell you, dry your tears. Your mourning is done. Your crying is over. Your weeping has ended. Get your dance back. Get your dance back. Get your dance back. need music you just need feet pick them up and dance you don't need a beat you just need belief God's on your side God saw you through you're in revival now you're in 